Man, we are still working our way through Ruth. Justin spoke last week, and he had the, the difficult task of, of really preaching more than one chapter, and that's my fault. We broke it up together, and I said, I really think this, this thing breaks on 119 and then through chapter 2. And so, man, you're going to have to do that. And he did it in, in record time uh, last Sunday. And so this Sunday, what we're going to pick up is chapter 3. Now, as we, as we look at chapter 3, it reminds us that, that as we see the hand of God moving in our life, occasionally that hand of God is, is prompting us to do something. It's As we recognize it and we see it, it is prompting us to move in a certain way in response to the hand of God moving in our life, right? And so we, we think about all the decisions and the things that we have to make in a day-to-day basis and then some of the bigger decisions. So we think back to some of the big decisions, you think about where God would have you to live, where God would have you to work. Is God calling you to abandon everything familiar and to go and to be a missionary? And there are a lot of you that are answering, no, he's not, he's not saying that. I'll say that much for sure. And then there are the little everyday decisions that we have to make. Uh, do, I, do I wake up and go exercise this morning or do I, do I sleep in? Do I eat healthy or eat poorly? Do I go fast food or do I get something a little bit better for myself? And then just the absolutely ridiculous everyday decisions of, of chocolate, vanilla, I mean just, just the basic and mundane type of decisions. But as I began to read chapter 3 of Ruth and started thinking about my life and what are some things that, that I really felt a strong sense and direction of that, that God was leading in my life that necessitated that I come up with a plan of, of action. Because that's really what we see in chapter 3. That Naomi has moved from being bitter, and she's, she's worked her way through bitter, and now she's beginning to see hope again, and she's creating a plan in line with the direction that God is leading her. And so I started thinking about that in my life, and I thought about when I proposed to Valerie, when I proposed to my wife. And so I began to feel that, that God was doing that, or, or definitely she was going to break up with me. We dated for about four years, which is, is getting on long right? It's, it's getting on long. It's not long yet. I mean, I figure seven years is a long term to date. Um, but it's getting on long. And I knew that if we were going to be married, that, that, that marriage meant engagement and engagement meant proposal. And so I had to do something. I had to come up with a plan. And Hollywood has royally messed this up for every person, whether you're a man or a woman, and you're going to propose. Because you've seen movies, right? You, you've heard stories about the world being saved as a result of a, of a proposal. I mean, you've seen pictures of you know, horse-drawn carriages showing up, and every flower for 100 miles has been cut and is laid there, and, and mass sums of money have been spent, and you know, choirs and Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir brought in, and, and all of these things happen. And so you've got all of this weighing on you. are like, all I want is a yes. It's going to take me about $100,000 to get it. But all I want... Is a yes, and so I came up with a plan that I thought, man, this has everything a proposal needs. And so I, I went to Valerie's roommate, her best friend at the time, Bethany, and said, Bethany, this is my plan. This is what I'm going to do. Bethany's very kind. And she said, well, that's, that's a really interesting idea. <laughs> I said, okay, tell me more. And, she, and so she helped me craft this plan that had all of the things mine lacked romance, surprise, and that wow factor that you're going for. 
It had the most integral part that I thought was, you know, the prerequisite for all proposals, and that was a yes answer, and we've been married almost nine years. But it had all of the elements that mine was missing. Now, as we zoom in on chapter 3 in Ruth, what we see is Naomi begins to craft this beautiful plan that is directly in line with what God is leading her to for her and for Ruth. And so let's look at chapter 3 as we as we look at the way that God follows through on the hand of God in her life. As we look at the first five verses, what we see is Hope's plan. It says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, speaking of Ruth, he said, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And listen to Ruth's response. Verse 5, and she replied, all that you say, I will do. You'll remember, just as a brief summary for those of you who weren't here the last two weeks, that that this is a story of a family who was sojourning in the land of Moab, and things went radically wrong for them. Naomi lost her husband, she lost two sons, and then she begins to make her way back into the land, and as Justin picked up in verse 19 of chapter 1 last week, as Naomi and Ruth come back into the land, Ruth evaluates her life. She looks at everything that's going on, and she says, don't call me Naomi anymore, don't call me blessed anymore, but call me Mara. And so she's, she's bitter. She's bitter towards God. She's, she's bitter for all these things that have happened. But as chapter 2 progresses, it's a time span of about eight weeks. And so eight weeks, God has revealed himself. For eight weeks, she has seen the hand of God moving in their life. And for eight weeks, there has been a change of heart taking place in Naomi. To where she has moved from being so bitter and so set is recognizing the hand of God is only moving in her life to bring about calamity, to bring about destruction, and now she is believing in hope, and in chapter 3, she's beginning to enact hope's plan. So she pulls her daughter-in-law aside, and, and you'll remember that Ruth has been working in the fields of Boaz for about eight weeks, and we get that because they arrive at the beginning of the barley and wheat harvest, and now it is the end of the barley and wheat harvest. So for eight weeks, Ruth is going out and she is working for eight weeks. She is dutifully providing for her mother-in-law. For eight weeks, she's getting to know Boaz. For eight weeks, he's, he's getting to see her work so hard to provide for her mother-in-law. People are beginning to observe her diligence. People are beginning to observe the fact that she is working so hard in this agenda, so hard in this endeavor. And so now Naomi, as she senses the leading of God from his hand moving in her life, is beginning to concoct, beginning to bring together a plan. And look at this in verse 1. She asks the question, she says, should I not seek rest for you? Now you'll remember, if you think back on chapter 1, this is not the first time Ruth has heard these words from Naomi. You remember that they, they started this trek from Moab back into the land and and, and she stops, and Naomi stops her daughters-in-law, and she says, Hey, look, you need to go back to the land of your fathers. You need to go back to the land that you're from, and should I not seek rest for you, we read in verse 9. 
said, the Lord grant that you may find rest. Naomi's desire is to see Ruth taken care of. She's responding to the hope that she's seen. She's responding to the provision that she's seen. She says, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? And then she begins to key in on something. She says, is not Boaz our relative? You see, Boaz has somewhat of a unique position in that he is able to work to redeem this family. He is able to redeem their land, and he is able to provide for this family. And so you can tell Naomi's done some some background digging. She's done some investigative work. And so while Ruth is at work in the fields, Naomi is out listening to the Mission Impossible soundtrack, and she goes out, and she's finding out stuff about Boaz. She's like, hey, look, I see where you work. I've seen you making eyes at one another. I, I know that Boaz is our relative. I know that he is able to do something to rectify the situation. And this is really what tips us off that she's been doing some investigating, even that day, because she says, hey, look, I've seen Boaz. And I can tell you where he's going to be tonight and when he's going to be there. She says, see tonight that he is winnowing barley at the threshing floor. And so she tells Ruth, she says, this is what you're going to do. Uh, The first thing we need to address is your your body odor. So you need to wash yourself. You need to to take care of that. You've been working in the fields and and you, you smell like you've been working in the fields. Now, the way this happens in our current setting and the way this happens for them is, are two radically different things, right? And so we want to we get dutied up. We want to go out on a date or something today. And so we, we go in and, man, we're, you know, scrubbing. If you have long fingernails, you're cutting them and trimming them. I don't, I'm not going to speak to the lady's side because you guys do things that just, I don't know what you're doing for an hour in there, but it's, you come out, it, it looks great. It's a mystery. Let's leave it in there. It's a mystery. But for me, I'm taking 10 minutes and, you know, I'm preparing myself, I'm anointing myself with some water, I'm getting clean, I'm changing clothes, I'm putting on something, and, you know, maybe a spritz or two of cologne or something if I'm really feeling saucy. <coughs> Put on something that looks ironed. Um. Anyway, and so her instruction to Naomi then, and so if we take and we contemporize it to our modern setting, we see her going in and she is pampering and she is doing all of these things, but this is not really what the heart of this is. She goes in, she gets clean, and she takes some perfume and she anoints herself with it and she puts on some clothes that she doesn't use for working. So she does that. She's not getting all dolled up. She's not trying to lure him in by saying, you know, You've seen the cover, now you want to read the book. She's just making herself presentable. And furthermore, Naomi gives her this plan that is just completely crazy. She's asking her to do something that's dangerous. She's asking her to do something that is, in some ways, alarming. She's asking her to put herself in a very vulnerable position. She says, get clean, put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But stay hidden. Just stay hidden. I want you to observe all that's going on. I want you to watch him go in and see him work. And after he has eaten and after he has drank, then go and lay down at his feet after he's already asleep. And Ruth's response is, all that you've said I'll do. All that you've said I'll do. Ruth is keying in on her role to follow through 
on a plan that would provide for Naomi. So verse 6 through 13, we really begin to see this, this plan met out. And the question we should be asking ourselves as we go through this, is Ruth faithful to follow through on the commitment that she's made? You remember in verse 5 that she said, all that you say I'll do. And so let's see as we go through here, is she faithful to follow through on the thing that she said she would do? Verse 6, so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of a heap of grain. And then she came in softly and she laid down at his feet. She uncovered his feet and lay down. So this is the picture. She goes down, and she's standing far enough back where nobody's noticing her. And these men are out there, and they're working, and they're, they're, they're working to bring in the harvest. It's the end of the harvest, so they're processing all the things that they brought in. And then it's time for them to eat, and so Boaz is over there. He's eating, and he's drinking, and the text tells us his heart was merry. I mean, this is a time of celebration. It's the end of a great deal of work. They're being able to bring it all in. They're being able to celebrate God's goodness and providing for them. And so he's, he's happy, he's excited, and so he eats and he drinks and he goes and he lays down at the end of a heap of grain. And this is what the narrator wants us to see. This is the care that Ruth gives. She doesn't want to disturb him, so she practices an early ninja technique, and she walks softly over to where he is, and she uncovers his feet, and she lays down there. Now think about the glamour and glitz of that. She's gotten all cleaned up. She's covered herself with perfume, and she goes over, and she uncovers this man's dirty, stinky feet. And she puts her clean body right next to his feet. She smells good, and his feet certainly don't. She places herself so far beneath him that she lays down at his feet. Do you get a sense of the type of person Ruth is? Do you get a sense of the type of posturing that she's giving and she's, she's putting forward for herself? She lays down at his feet. And the text tells us, it says, at midnight it rolls around, and the man... Boaz was startled, and he turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet, and he said, who are you? So Boaz is laying there, and <clears throat> if he's anything like me, he, he tosses and turns a lot of his sleep, and occasionally mule kicks the nearest person to him. And so as he, as he rolls over, he kicks, and those aren't covers he's knocking off. That's a woman at his feet, and she lets out a huh, and he says, who are you, huh? And this is her response. She says, I am Ruth. And she invites Boaz in some ways back to a conversation they had at the beginning of the, at the, beginning of the harvest. She says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now you will remember that in chapter 2, starting at verse 13, that starting in verse 12 and ending in verse 13, that Ruth and Boaz had this conversation about who she is and what she's doing. And Boaz responded that everybody has seen your faithfulness, everybody has heard, and they are talking about the diligence that you are working, that you're a foreigner, 
but you are working with all diligence to provide for Naomi. And he goes in, and and she responds to herself as a servant of Boaz in verse 13. She says, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to, to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So she reminds him of this conversation. But the most important thing that we need to key back on and recognize in here is that she is responding and bringing back to Boaz's memory this conversation that they had weeks prior. In verse 12, we had read, The Lord repay you for what you have done. This is Boaz speaking to Ruth. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to take refuge. So as they're out there and they're in the middle of the field and she's talking to Boaz, he tells her, he says, look, I'm issuing kindness to you by allowing you to to come in to glean here. But I don't want you to put all that on me. I don't want you to think that this is just Boaz working to protect you. He corrects her and says, but it is God under whose wing you have come and you have come and you have taken refuge. And so now it's after midnight. Ruth is laying at Boaz's feet. He wakes up and they have this conversation. She said, I'm Ruth, I'm your servant. And this is what I want from you. I want you to take your garment and I want you to cover me. Do you catch the weight of what Ruth, what Ruth is asking Boaz to do? He says, look, you told me God was faithful. You told me that he would extend his garment over me and that I could take refuge in him. Now this is what I'm asking you. I want you to respond with the same type of faithfulness that you said God would bring. I want you to take your garment and I want you to cover me. This is what Ruth is proposing. She is asking for marriage and she is asking for redemption. She is asking for redemption. Let me read it again. She said, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. You are a redeemer. So Ruth has, has followed with great exactitude the plan that Naomi gave her. The text and the narrator actually go out of their way to show that everything Naomi said, Ruth followed through with. And then she uses a little bit of their personal interaction to intensify it, reminding Boaz of the conversation they had earlier and very forwardly asking him, will you redeem me? Will you marry me in some sense? And check out Boaz's response. He said, may you be blessed by the Lord. You notice that Boaz again reminds Ruth to recognize the provision of God in her life more than the provision of man. He says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, for you have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Boaz, in some sense, is comparing the kindness that Ruth extends to Naomi And then the kindness then she has extended to him. And he's saying, you have done even far greater. And coming to me instead of going to a younger man, whether rich or poor. He said, and now my daughter, do not fear for all that you ask. 
do, do not fear. I will do all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. What a great word. You remember that when Ruth came in, I mean, she is an outsider. She is a foreigner. She is someone who is completely, as a, as a part of who she is ethnically, an enemy to Israel. So she's had to overcome all of these obstacles. She's had to c- overcome all of this, <clears throat> this thought that people would have against her. And they have now begun to evaluate her on the basis of what she does, not who she was born as. And they said that everyone knows in the, in the gate they know you are a worthy woman. All that you ask, I will do. And then he throws a wrench in the whole thing. He says, look, in verse 12, it's true that I'm a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. I mean, essentially, if what we had last week was, was their cute meet where, where there's some way that they come together and they get to meet each other, this is, they've met each other, they're falling in love, and he says, but I don't have long left because I'm shipping out next week. And so th- there's a problem in this budding relationship early on. And so... He is asking her to continue to trust in God's provision. He says, look, it's true. You've got this right. I am a redeemer. But there's somebody closer than I am. There's a redeemer closer than I. So this is what he tells her in verse 13. He says, remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So Boaz looks at the situation. He knows that they have this bond. They have this this connection with one another. He's gotten to know her a great deal over the last eight weeks as she has worked in his field. She has come to recognize him as somebody that she would like to be married to. Naomi has crafted this plan to bring the two of them together, together to get them in this situation where no one else is around, where no one else is invading on their conversation. And so she moves forward with this plan. She lays beside his stinky feet. He wakes up in the middle of the night. She positions herself as a servant. And she asks him to cover her. But it could be all for naught. Now this is what Boaz could have done. Could have looked at her in that situation and said, Man, I would love to help you but that's not my job. Could have looked at her and said, I would love to do this for you. But quite simply, that's someone else's responsibility. I tell you what, you go to them, if it doesn't work out, you come back to me and I'll take care of it. He would have been totally upright and justified in in that action. But he inserts himself into her life. He inserts himself and commits to see this thing through into the end. Boaz has begun to sense the hand of God moving, and he too is faithful to follow through to the end. So his response isn't just, hey, look, it's not my job, it's not my responsibility. You work that out. If it doesn't work, it out, with, don't work out with him, you come back to me, and I'll take care of it. You see, as you read through it, what I don't want us to do is send some type of coldness on part of Boaz where he says, if he will, if he will do it, good. 
What I want you to see is that Boaz is working for the provision of Ruth and Naomi. He is working diligently for their care and for their provision. And so his response isn't one of indifference. His response is one of commitment. If this other person who should have stood up sometime in these last eight weeks, if they will, fo- if they will not follow through, then I will. This man who for eight weeks has not followed through to redeem Ruth and Naomi. That Boaz is going to enter the picture and he's going to drive that point home. He's going to enter the picture and he's going to say, I'm going to bring this to a conclusion for you. Because this man has an obligation to follow through and if he is not willing to meet his obligation, then I will meet that obligation for him. And so Ruth responds to, to Boaz. It said, the text tells us in verse 14, so she laid his feet until morning but arose before anyone could recognize her. See, it was scandalous for a woman to go out in this way. Not to mention unsafe, going out uncared for. Anything could have happened to her in the dead of night. There's no one to, to protect her as she goes out. But she's also concerned, and we'll see in a moment, that Boaz too that she is concerned for her reputation. And so she gets ready in the morning before it is light enough for anybody to tell who someone is. And Boaz even ensures further, he says, let it not be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And look at Boaz's provision in verse 15. He said, bring me that garment that you're wearing and hold it out. So she did. And he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city. This is Boaz's provision. He's looking out for her reputation, and he's providing for her physically. You see, she goes over to him, and she she takes the garment that she's wearing, and she opens it up, and Boaz pours 60 pounds of grain in there. This lets us know a couple of things. One, well-made garment. Two, uh, Ruth, sturdy gal. I mean, this is 60 pounds that she's now got to carry back into the city, and so that, that working in the field's paying off for. And so he saddles her up with, with all of this food to carry back to her mother-in-law. And then as she walks back in, look at this exchange between Ruth and Naomi. She comes back in, and her mother-in-law said, Hey, how did you fare, my daughter-in-law? And she told her all the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. So she walks back through the door, and she's, she's got either on her head or in her arms 60 pounds of food that she's carried all the way back from the threshing floor back to where they're residing. Man, what a testimony of Boaz's faithfulness. What a testimony of his provision, not just for Ruth, but for Naomi as well. And this woman that was so bitter, this woman that was so frustrated, this woman that was so bitter that she took on the very name of bitter. That once she began to hope, she made a plan in accordance with the movement of God in her life. She made a plan in accordance with the, with the rules for leviterate marriage. And this is how far Naomi has come. Verse 18, she said, wait, my daughter, 
until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Do you see that? Do you see the transformation of hope moving in Naomi's life where she was so bitter when she came back in that she lost a husband, that she lost two sons, that even though she was back in the land, all she could sense was this feeling of bitterness? And that over eight weeks, she began to notice the hand of God moving in her life. The text tells us that Ruth happened to be in the field of Boaz. Boaz, who happened to be a relative of Naomi's late husband, Elimelech. And as she began to recognize the hand of God moving in her life for provision, and not in a punitive way, she began to hope. She began to believe. And so she follows through on this plan to put Ruth in the place where she needs to be, where she can link Ruth and Boaz. But now she recognizes that her hand is done. That she has been faithful to follow through on that thing that God is calling her to, and now that they need to trust and wait on Boaz to do his part. Ruth is a story of faithfulness and provision as we recognize the hand of God moving in our life. But this is where it hits us. See, God calls each of us to something. For some of you, he is calling for change in vocations. For some of you, he is calling to give your life over to him for service. God puts this deep sense of, of calling. He puts this deep sense of direction in your heart that he is crying out for you to be faithful to him. He is crying out for you to follow through on the things that he is putting on your heart. And largely, this is our response. If God wants it to happen, he'll make it happen. I fully believe in the sovereignty of God. And man, there's a time and there's a place for that. But this is what we recognize in Ruth that she saw the hand of God moving. And she recognized that God was calling her to enact a plan that would bring that about to fruition. Friends, what is God calling you to? What is God saying to you that you need to work to bring about this in your life? The time for sitting back and waiting is over. What specifically is God calling you to? See, just as much as we see that in the text of Ruth today, we also see that in the provision of God to Ruth and Naomi, tremendous sign of mercy. That these women came back into the land widows, that these women came back into the land with no ability to care or provide for themselves. And so Ruth goes out into the field and she begins to work, she begins to give herself to gleaning for the provision of her and the provision of Naomi. And God has mercy on her in the person of Boaz. And you'll remember the word that Boaz spoke to her, he said, you have taken refuge under the wing." of the Lord. And we see it once again. When, that, when Ruth is laying at the feet of Boaz, she says, would you extend your garment over me? Would you raise your wing over me? She is asking Boaz 
to care for her. She is asking Boaz to protect her. And see, this is the great connection. That God still extends his wing of protection over us, and he does it in the person of Jesus. That just as God and Boaz protected Ruth and Naomi, God in Christ protects and extends his wing of covering over us. Where do you stand in that? Where do you stand in that? Do you stand on the outside and say, I am my own covering, I am my own protection, I am my own blessing? Or do you humble your heart? Do you confess your sin? Do you cry out for forgiveness? Because God in the person of Christ extends to you his wing of blessing. Because God in the person of Christ extends to you forgiveness of sins. Just as he cared for Ruth and Naomi through the person of Boaz, he cares for us today in the person of Christ. Let me pray for us.